Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Thanks for coming to church today. This is a great day. It's been a great month. Um, just saying to our volunteers, thank you. And uh, we've been uh, taking the whole month to do that. Friday night, we had a great event. Uh, fed them dinner and had a comedian here. That was hilarious. And we just had a great time with them on uh, Friday night. And I just, I really want to encourage every person to understand the idea that God has graced you with a spiritual gift that uh, he wants you to use to serve other people with. And uh, you're never going to feel fulfilled in life until you're actually using that gift to serve other people, until you start giving it away. And once you find out what your gift is, what your grace is, what your lane is, and you start employing that, God can do great things in your life. So uh, if you want to get on board the team, uh, I believe that is the will of God for your life to get on team and to play together and to pull in the same direction. And we have an opportunity right after service today to kind of plug in. But I also would love to invite everybody who is a volunteer in our church, every leader, every volunteer, every wannabe leader volunteer uh, to be here for Thursday night for Heart for the House. Uh, it's a meeting that we do once a quarter, uh, and it's just an opportunity to kind of go, here's the vision, here's the direction for the next quarter that's in front of us. Um, we get to, to all pull in the same direction and uh, be involved in some of the great things that God wants to do. It's a leadership download. We'll have a little bit of time for departments to connect in this meeting as well. But this Thursday night, once a quarter, hard for the house, all volunteers, all leaders, anybody who loves the house, uh, we certainly would love for you to be there this Thursday. It's going to be amazing. Everybody say better. 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 That's what we're talking about better right now which is a journey for us uh, through the book of Hebrews, uh, where we are looking at the fact that Jesus is better than the angels, uh, that uh, we have been given a better covenant that's been enacted on better promises, that we have a better hope, that God has better things in mind for us. And uh, at, at the bottom of it all, I think my realization is that whenever Jesus comes into your world, things get better. Come on, anybody, anybody experienced that at all? Things get better. Your marriage gets better. Your soul gets better. Uh, life gets better when Jesus is in your world. So today, I want to uh, look at Hebrews chapter 2 and uh, read a few verses and talk about, I think, a profound concept that we see here. Hebrews 2, uh, verse 5, for he, God, did not subject to angels the world to come. Everybody say the world to come. Concerning which we are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, and this is a quote from Psalm 8, uh, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, you've crowned him, man, with glory and honor. You've appointed him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet, under man's feet. For in subjecting 
all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. And this is where I want to focus a little bit today. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Uh, the title of my message today is Now, But Not Yet. Now, But Not Yet. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So here's a good piece of theology to, to hold on to and understand is from the very beginning, God has appointed over all the work of his hands, man. That means men and women, by the way. But God has appointed uh, over all the work of his hands. He has created a world that he has handed over to the authority of the people who live on the planet. And he's saying, I have appointed you over the work of my hands. All things are subject to you. And what this scripture is pointing out to us is that this is a now, but not quite yet reality. And the call that I want to give to us today is to recognize our God-given authority in life to live the life that God's called us to live. I want to encourage you to carry the spirit of royalty. I want to encourage you to carry the spirit of dominion of God-given authority, of rulership that God has entrusted to your life and my life. And here we live on a planet that is full of sin, full of evil, full of sickness, full of oppression, full of fake news, full of pain and confusion and struggle and CNN, we live in this planet that all this stuff gets thrown at us, but the reminder that we need is to recognize that you in Christ have been made more than a conqueror of all of that. Somebody say amen. Like say a real amen. And the call today is to hold on to a piece of subtlety in thinking that is, I think, very powerful. That we are living in the power of the world to come right in the middle of now. In the world to come, there's going to be no sin, no sickness, no sorrow, no oppression. There's going to, there's going to be anything but righteousness, peace, and joy in the world to come. And the call is to live 
in the midst of now, but not yet. To recognize that it is our privilege, it is our responsibility, even as Christians, to live in the spirit of what will be, even though we don't always see it fulfilled in every moment of every day now. We, we live in the spirit of God's original intention, which we're going to look at in a few moments, but it's still in the process of being recovered. So right now, we just believe that God wants to save everybody. Do we see everybody get saved? No. But we pray and believe and reach for everybody to know the love of God. We, we believe that God wants to heal people of their sickness. Does everybody we pray for get healed of their sickness? No, not yet. But every time I pray for somebody, I'm believing that I'm reaching into the world to come. I'm reaching back to the original intention, and I'm saying, I believe God wants to heal you. And the next person I pray for, I'm saying, I believe God wants to heal you. I remember somebody years ago uh, said to me, you know, I don't know if I believe in all this healing stuff. It's like, I prayed for somebody, they died. I mean, you know, you don't want them praying for you, right? I prayed for somebody, they died, and I don't know if I believe in this. And I think this is what happens to people. They hear, they hear a message or they hear an idea or they get this idea that God has good things in store for their life, and the first time they try to step into it, it's, it's real, but maybe fully not yet. And I told this person, you know, I said, you know what? I will always pray for anybody that has anything wrong with them and believe that God's going to touch them. I, and they said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I said, well, are you going to stop praying for people to get saved? Because not everybody I pray for, everybody I yearn for, that I would love for them to get connected to God and get connected to the love of God and the life of God, they don't all get saved, but I'm still going to keep praying. I'm still going to keep believing. And so we live in the spirit of what God has for us in the future now, but sometimes not yet. We look back to what was intended. We look forward to what will be. And here's what I want to, I guess, call us all to lift our eyes, to live with an attachment to a world that's yet to be. It's like we live in a crazy, crazy planet that we are living in now, but I am attached to a future that is amazing. I am bound to a future that's amazing, and I'm going to keep holding on to that future in the now, even though I haven't found it all to be yet to be. And the Bible is teaching us here in this passage that literally Jesus has gone before us to show us the way. So let's, let's walk through a couple of uh, passages of Scripture. It's okay to read the Bible in church, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews 8, verse 1. This is what, this is what God quoted in uh, Psalm 8, verse 1. I'm sorry. This is what God quoted in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You've displayed your splendor even above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Look at verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained. In other words, the vastness of this amazing, incredible universe. The unbelievable size and all the stars and all the suns and all the galaxy and all the planets and all the stuff that's going on. I have stopped to go, what is man that you even take thought of him? And the son of man that you even care for him? I mean, even thinking right now, there's 7 billion people on this planet, but God is dialed in to every single one of them. The Bible says he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. You don't even know how many hairs are on your head. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I was going to say the count isn't too hard for some, but... It says, when I'm looking at all the heavens, all the amazing vastness, largeness of it all, what is man that you take thought of him? Verse 5, yet you've made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Here we go. Verse 6, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I think what this passage is teaching us is certainly this. God is so far above us that any greatness we could ever uh, aspire to or achieve doesn't even come close to how big he really is. So why would God care and think about and consider us at all? But, everybody say but, but he's chosen to give us authority to run the planet that he created. He's chosen to give us this dominion over the works of his hands. We, and, and this is a compelling idea and a, and a pretty radical idea. Psalm 8 says, we are a little lower than God. We are crowned with glory and majesty. I think understanding this idea is a pivotal thought because there is a lot of thinking in our world right now that we have evolved from animals. And I just want to say to you, that is so wrong because not just because of the science of it all, because truthfully, the science of it all isn't really science. It's theory. The gaps between evolutionary process can't be found. They're just supposed many, many times. But my real issue with that is this understanding is that you and I are not 
just an evolved animal. I know you might have a crazy uncle that you would think is a possibility. But you have been created in the image of God. You're not just a, you're not a monkey that evolved. You're a human being, a magnificent creature that God has created with unique gifts and talents and capacity and authority and, and a thing that's on your life. You are worth God sending Jesus to the earth to rescue. Come on, I want to elevate the way you think about yourself and the way you think about human beings. There's a kind of a theology that's out there that, you know, oh, such a worm as I. Isn't there an old song about that, such a worm as I? And uh, Martha, the Methodist, would know this song, I'm sure. Some kind of, and, and I just, I just want to remind us that you don't have to become a worm to recognize how much greater God is than you. If you get the perspective and the understanding of how truly great God is, it all comes clear. Because I just want to say, you can stand tall right next to God, but he's way taller than you. You can run fast right next to God, but he can run way faster than you. You hear what I'm saying? You can be as smart as you can be, but God is way smarter than you are. And so no matter how tall you stand, which I think God wants us to stand tall. You're not a worm. You're created in the image of God. You're not an evolved monkey. You're created in the image of God. And God wants you to stand strong, stand firm, stand tall. Come on, we're not like any animal. We, we have the ability to be self-aware. Not that every person is, but we have the ability to step outside of ourselves and go, why are you thinking that? Why are you saying that? Why are you doing that? We have the ability to change. We have the ability to make a decision. Animals don't have that capacity. And God has given you and me a dominion mandate, a, a dominion responsibility, a dominion authority. And when God first created the earth, he's saying, hey, listen, this is your world. I made it. I hand it over to you. Now I want you to tend this garden called Eden, and I want you to rule in it. I want you to take care of it. Don't let the circumstances of life get over on you. Yeah, I know there's sickness. Yeah, I know there's sorrow. Yeah, I know there's weeds. Yeah, I know there's stuff that happens. But I want you to stand up and tend your garden and for the glory of God, rise up and rule in the midst of your enemies. So let's look at this for a minute, if we could. Genesis chapter 1, 
And uh, this is, this is kind of where it all starts for us. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule. Everybody say rule. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle over all the earth. Let them rule over every creep on the earth. You know any creeps? And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And look at God's first move. And God, verse 28, and God blessed them. I always like to remind people that the default setting is blessed. Right? You know, your computer gets all clogged up. The game gets all clogged up. The app gets all clogged up. And you, and you go, I got to go to restore to default setting. The default setting, the original setting is God created man in his image. And his first move was he blessed them. A blessed life is the default setting that he brought us to. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he'd made. Behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So this is the macro account. This is this, uh, the accounting. This is the 30,000-foot look, Genesis chapter 1. God says, let there be plants. Let there be trees. Let there be. And then we get down to, we go to Genesis 2, 4, which is the micro account, which is the, 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 the dial in, the zoom in version of the um, God creating everything. And it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made earth and heaven. Look at this. No shrub of the field was yet in the earth. But God had already said, let there be, but it wasn't there yet. And no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So then the Lord took the man, verse 15, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. God had said, let there be plants. But they didn't actually exist because two things had not taken place. There was no man to cultivate it. There was no man to take authority, to till the ground, to watch over it, and there was no rain from heaven. It's a divine partnership to recognize that it takes both rain from heaven and a man, a woman, to cultivate the garden they've been given. There's always things that God says in your life, in my life, 
let there be. Our role is to cooperate with what God said, let there be. Our role is to cultivate in line with what he said, let there be. Our role is take dominion over our own garden, over our own calling, over our own piece of the planet, and in cooperation with God, bring heaven into the earth. God said decades ago, let there be the Rock Church in Asheville. But until there was a man and a woman who said, we are going to tend a garden, take care of it, that accompanied with the rain of heaven has caused literally thousands of people to give their life to Christ, to be touched by God, and every one of us has a garden that God has given us. It's your marriage, it's your business, it's your career, it's your friendships, it's your health, it's your world, that God is saying to you, let there be light, let there be blessing, let there be fruitfulness, let there be my favor, but there's got to be something in us that says, I got to recognize who I am, not a worm, and what I have in Christ, and I've got to take this authority that God's given me to rule in the power of God's original intention, to, to rule in the power of the world to come. We moved into our house almost 20 years ago, I think, and when we moved in our house, there were no gardens around our house at all. My wife got a vision, and we planted all kinds of gardens all around our house, planted trees around our house. And you know, the truth is, there is the potential for there to be plants, shrubs, trees, but until somebody takes authority over their piece of land, am I preaching this okay? Because you're not amening very strong. Takes authority, and even now, We've got this garden, and we've planted great stuff in it. Can you believe weeds try to come into my garden? Well, they don't come into my garden. They come into Suzette's garden. And, and we've still got to take authority over the weeds. And the call today is to keep reaching for the world to come, keep remembering the original intention that God had and live like it's now without, without getting discouraged because it's not fully yet. God gave us the laws of electricity. He set those in motion. We didn't create electricity. We discovered electricity. And now we get to use it for our good. 
How many of you know when you lose your electricity, life is no fun anymore? Right? Uh, We've lost our electricity at the house in a snowstorm, and I'm thinking, my gosh, everything depends on electricity. Right? Can't have any Wi-Fi without electricity. Can't hardly make a cup of coffee without electricity. Can't watch any TV. Can't get online. Can't, you just can't hardly do anything. But God says, here's the laws of electricity. Now, take what I've given, set in motion, but you still got to take it and put it to use in your world. I've been to countries that still have not understood the power of electricity. They don't have electricity. The way they live does not include electricity. It's already given. If somebody could awaken them to the, the beauty of electricity, they could have a bigger world. The laws of, the laws of gravity, the laws of aerodynamics, God has given us that. Now you can get on a plane, sit in a seat, fly literally across the flippin' ocean, blows my mind every time I do it, fly all the way across the ocean in this enormous plane with hundreds of other people, that's existed forever. But finally, somebody found it, started to work with it, started to take authority, and now man can fly. God has set the laws that govern money in motion. And there are many people who feel like they can't really get on top of that situation, like it's for some people and not for other people. And I'm saying to you, just like you could learn to make electricity work for you, if you understand the laws and then submit to them, Just like you can take the laws of aerodynamics, learn the laws, and submit to them, there are laws that govern money. And if you take those laws and you put them in the motion, you would have some. Amen, Pastor Kirk. Keep preaching the truth. One law... uh, that governs money is you can't spend more than you make. Yes, amen. God has created the law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. How much you sow, you reap. So if you want your world full of love, you better start sowing some love. If you want your world full of mercy, the law of sowing and reaping works if you'll buy it, submit to it, take authority in your world. And so now you have this possibility of having this amazing marriage amazing life because God's given you the authority to rule your world and you might do it a time or two and realize it's now but not fully yet but I'm not going to let the not fully yet 
keep me from doing it now. Really, the truth is, you know, God gave this dominion mandate to, uh, to Adam and Eve over their garden of Eden, and they messed it up. We all know that. But Romans 5 tells us this, that if for by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. So let me, let, let's look at a story where Jesus tried to help somebody understand this idea. Mark chapter 9, um, verse 14. They, they came back to the disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. And he describes what's wrong with him, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out. They could not do it. So verse 19, he he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, immediately the spirit threw the boy into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And then this guy's thinking, Jesus is going to make things better. It actually gets a little worse. Falling to the ground, he began rolling about, rolling about, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And here's what I want us to focus on, these couple verses. It's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water. But if you, God, Jesus, if you could do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says to him, if you can. They're saying, Jesus, please have pity. If, if maybe possibly you want to help us, take pity on us. And I think this is the way a lot of people encounter God. God, don't you see? how difficult, how tough this is. If you could, please take pity on my situation. And Jesus is saying to this guy and saying to us, it's not about if I can, because I can. It's about if you can, because I've given you authority over your garden. Jesus says to him, verse 23, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I mean, I, I, I believe somehow possibly this could happen. 
But Jesus, could you help a brother out? And I love this because Jesus saw a crowd was gathering, rebuked the unclean spirit, said, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him, do not enter him again. After crying out, throw him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. Let me say this to you, and I hope you hear it in the right spirit. Jesus is saying, this guy is saying to Jesus, if you could do this, could you please take pity on my situation? And Jesus is saying, it's not your need that makes me move. It's not you appealing for pity that makes me move. I've given you authority to bring my will into your earth. Because I think a lot of us, we look at the mess that's around our life or the mess that's in this world, and, and we're just saying, Lord, could you do something about this? And he's saying, I want you to do something about it. God is, God's not moved by need. God's moved by faith. Right? Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, without faith, throw that up there, Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And they're saying, Jesus, if you could please, and Jesus says, it's not a matter of I can, it's a matter of if you can. That's your boy, that's your garden, that's your marriage, that's your business, that's your finances, that's your world, and I have entrusted to you divine heavenly authority to take dominion in your world. And you get clear on who you are, you get clear on what you have, and you start to recognize that all things are possible to him who believes. Believing puts you in the realm of possibilities. It opens up possibilities for your life. And I'm just saying to you, God has said to you in different situations, let there be. And maybe you've taken a step and it hasn't panned out the way you wanted. The dream hasn't materialized as you thought it would. The situation didn't resolve the way you got to live with this spirit that says, you know what? I'm never going to get discouraged reaching for a world that's yet to be, reaching back for the original intention. Maybe it didn't happen this time, but I'm going to keep standing. It's going to happen the next time. And then I'm going to keep standing. It happens the next time. Because I really think carrying that spirit of faith is what's pleasing to the heart of God. Carrying that full confidence in the goodness of God is what's pleasing to the Lord. So let's close out with this uh, Hebrews 2. It says, verse um, 7, for in, in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that's not subject to him, the man. Now we don't yet see 
all things subjected to him, but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels. And here's what I love, and this is what happened with Jesus and the story that we read in Mark 9. Maybe you don't see the full picture of your authority emerge, but you still hold on to the power of a world to be. Maybe you don't see the full authority manifest, but we do see him. We do see the one who loves us, the one who really cares, the one who suffered death for us, the, the one who is risen, the one who is crowned with glory and honor. Can I say to you, whatever you're going through right now, you can never question this idea. You've got to know this with all your heart. God is for you. Heaven is for you. I want to pray with you today. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We come before you. We see this dominion, this authority, this gift that you've given to us. Lord, we want to grow in it. I believe there's people here today. Maybe you've never just really submitted your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never actually invited him in to be the Lord of your life. I would love to pray with you today. Maybe you're here today and there, there was a, a moment where you used to be so close to God. You were on fire for God, but now you're not there right now. Your heart is not fully in love with God, and you know you've slipped, you've fallen, you've fallen back. Today be a great day for you to come home. Or maybe you're just here today and you feel unsure about where you stand with God. I want to pray with you. Nobody's looking around. It may be more important than me praying, certainly more important than me praying, is for God to see your heart to say yes to him. Not to say, I've got my act together, God. Are you okay with that? But God, I need you. I want you in my life. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you've fallen away, or maybe you feel unsure, and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand real high all over this room. God bless you. Come on. Thank you all over the room. God bless you guys. Love you. For you. God's for you. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's all say this prayer together. This is for everybody that lifted their hand, but I would love for everybody to join in. Let's pray this. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I receive Jesus, Lord of my life. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.